You're listening to Sounds Good, the podcast that makes your sounds sound good. Welcome to the fifth episode of Sounds Good. In today's episode, we are going to listen to an interview with Christian Koenraads, a musician, audio engineer and animator from the Netherlands. He's also a Logic user and we'll get some killer tips from Christian. I'm also starting with a new series called What's Really Happening, where we'll attempt to remove some of the superstition from audio and music technology. But first, let's take a look at loop editing. There are various ways to edit loops. For instance, we can copy and paste segments manually to make a loop more interesting or to get the rhythm we want. But in this episode we'll be a bit more specific and use a virtual instrument called Fatmatic Pro and then we'll take a look at Rex2 files. Fatmatic Pro is a virtual instrument from a company called Isotope. Most loop editing virtual instruments work more or less in the same fashion as Fatmatic Pro. In other words, what you'll hear in this show may inspire you to pick up a loop editor yourself and start doing similar things with your digital audio workstation. Or you may consider actually buying Fatmatic Pro, which after all is one of the best loop editing plugins money can buy and it works on both Mac and Windows as an AU or VST plugin. Like similar plugins, Fatmatic Pro divides a loop into smaller regions which can then be triggered by MIDI. This gives you far more flexibility than for instance an Apple loop. Sure, you can have the Apple loop adjust its tempo to the sequencer tempo, but changing the rhythmical structure means you have to take out your scissors tool and drag regions around, which can be a bit tedious. This is not how it works in Fatmatic Pro. Let's look at how it does work. When we insert this plugin into an instrument channel in Logic, it starts out empty. By clicking on the folder icon, we can then load an existing loop from an audio file. This can be an AIFF or WAV file. Let's use this loop. We have to tell Fatmatic Pro how many bars there are in our loop. In our case, that's four bars. At this point, we can choose to divide our loop into evenly spaced 16ths or 30 seconds, or we can use the much more interesting transient detection mode. By adjusting the sensitivity slider, we can easily see at which point we have separated our loop into distinct regions. To play this loop in our Logic Arrange window, we hold down the Option key and drag a region from Fatmatic's Groove icon into our instrument track. The MIDI region in our instrument track is now an exact replica of the original loop and we can play it back at any tempo. Here's how it sounds in Logic, with the tempo set at 120 beats per minute. You can see how it looks in Logic's matrix editor. Because it's now a MIDI region, we can easily change the rhythmical structure. Or we can put some swing quantization on it and play it at an even lower amount of beats per minute. 
16D is a great starting point if you want to try swing quantization. Fatmatic Pro also has a wide range of options to drastically change our loop. We can add a filter, repeat individual slices or change the pitch for one of more slices. But we can also add delay, distortion, coom filtering and there's a very nice modulation matrix. With just a few mouse clicks our loop now sounds like this. In my opinion, there's two things that make Fatmatic Pro really shine. For one thing, the interface is totally uncluttered and there's a super lightweight feel to it. Changing, adding or deleting markers in real time is easy and this makes it wonderful to experiment until you get the right feel. The other thing I really enjoy about Fatmatic Pro is that it invites happy accidents. To illustrate this, let's just load some totally different loops into our existing pattern from the first loop and see how it sounds. So Isotope's Fatmatic Pro is a wonderful tool for tons of inspiration. Let's look at different ways to get creative with loops. Did you ever consider buying a sample CD? I recently bought some of those from Loopmasters. Most sample CDs today contain samples in all kinds of formats such as Rex2, Reason, Halion, Contact and EXS24. This means the loops on those sample CDs are pre-sliced for us and we can simply load them for instance into our beloved EXS24 sampler. Now before you dismiss everything on your new CD that's not in the EXS24 format, let's take a closer look at Rex2 files. Rex2 loops are pre-sliced loops from Propellerhead's Recycle software, but if you load these into the EXS24 sampler, the actual loop is reconstructed as a MIDI region. Let's take a look at the ease of use of today's sample CDs. I'll take a CD called Broken Breaks from the Loopmasters. With today's hard drive sizes, there's little reason to keep the samples on the CD. So where do we copy all this information to? Well, the default location of EXS24 sampler instruments on your hard drive is your username, library, application support, logic, sampler instruments. I'll copy the entire content of the sample CD to a new folder in that location. As a next step, we choose Refresh from the EXS24 menu. We now see our sample CD in the EXS24's menu. How very convenient! The EXS24 instruments work just like the other EXS24 sample instruments we bought with Logic. But how about loading a Rex2 file? We'll choose a fairly up-tempo loop from the menu. The first time you choose a new Rex2 file, Logic will ask for a velocity factor. 
the velocity factor determines how the loudness of each slice of the imported recycle file affects the velocity values of the MIDI notes generated to trigger it. Most of the times you can just leave this at zero. If we look at our arrange window, we'll notice a new MIDI region in the instrument track. We again have the familiar staircase of MIDI loop events in our matrix editor. At 170 beats per minute, the loop sounds like this. But because it's such a perfectly edited Rex2 file, we can pull the tempo down, add some swing and change the rhythm at our heart's desire. So how about Pro Tools then? If you've never used Rex2 files in Pro Tools, you're in for a treat. Pro Tools imports Rex2 files as so-called region groups. We won't go into too much detail about region groups right now, but suffice it to say that you bind together several regions into a single region group. Let's take a look at importing a Rex2 file into Pro Tools, and I'm sure you can take it from there. We start with an empty stereo audio track. We then drag a Rex2 file to this track or import it to the region list. We immediately notice several things. For one, the region list shows much more regions than we might expect from importing a single file. The other thing we notice is that although the region looks like a single region in the timeline, there's a little icon in its lower left corner. This is the Pro Tools region group icon. Let's take a listen to our Rex2 file. Now wouldn't it be nice to change the tempo of our song and have the Rex2 file follow along? In order to do this, we will need to change our track from a sample bass to a tick bass. You can change any track from a sample to a tick bass or back via the little button in the lower left corner of the track. You may want to change its size to medium or large first. It should now display a little green metronome instead of the green circle. We can change the tempo of our song and the Rex2 file will follow along. And of course we can also ungroup our region group so we see all the individual regions. This is simply a matter of selecting our region group and then choosing region ungroup from the menu. We can now move, copy or delete regions at our heart's desire. So watch out for those Rex2 files, you'll find them a great source of inspiration and new sounds. Inside Home Recording, the podcast that covers the latest in home studio recording with your hosts, Paul Garay and Derek K. Miller. Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Derek. Inside Home Recording is the longest running podcast about recording music in your home or project studio. We started it in August 2005. We release a new show every two weeks, and it's packed with honest gear reviews, guest interviews, news, tips, opinions, and cool recording giveaways. We have thousands of listeners around the world who keep giving us five-star reviews. We're part of the Home Recording Network, and Apple even asked Paul to host their online podcast seminar. You had to mention that, didn't you? So how do people find us? Just search your favorite podcast directory for home recording, or head on over to Inside Home Recording. 
www.sirenrecording.com. We have a blog and forums there, too. Well, I think that covers it. If you're interested in digital audio, come check us out at Inside Home Recording. And remember to turn up that cowbell. Happy recording. InsideHomeRecording.com On November the 15th, I interviewed Christian Koenraads in his own studio in Groningen, the same town as where I'm living. Christian is a musician, audio engineer and animator. He has a special technique to create multimedia children's books. He's also well known for his work for television in the Netherlands. For this interview I used my Pro Tools LE laptop system with a DigiDesign Mbox, a Behringer B2 and Christian was kind enough to lend me his excellent MXL V67 microphone for the occasion. So, uh, welcome. This is uh, Christian Koenraads from Het Woestewoud, which means in English... Uh, means the wild woods. Please introduce yourself. My main occupation is that I make uh, animation films for uh, national public television. I also make the music for my own animation films. That's a very interesting technique you're using there. It's animations with music and sounds. This is your expertise, right? Yes, you're right. Uh, What I do is I uh, take existing picture books and I translate them to uh, animated movies. And uh, we only use the the artwork from the existing picture book. There's no uh, additional drawings involved. So you're a logic user, right? I'm a logic user. So what made you choose this sequencer above others? When I started out, I didn't know anything about uh, music software. And I had a friend who was very knowledgeable in this uh, area and uh, he advised me to buy Logic. And so I started with Logic and uh, still a happy user. And so are you always keeping yourself up to date with the latest versions? I tend not to buy the intermediate versions like uh, 7.1 or so, but recently I had to because I had to import a Pro Tools session. So this went flawlessly, the importing from uh, Pro Tools to Logic and back? Well, uh, at first it didn't work, uh, and that was because I had the wrong version of Logic. But then uh, once I had, uh, I think 7.1 it is now, uh, it worked flawlessly. It's not something I've done myself, but it's very interesting to know that some people are doing it with some success. Yeah, it's a very good technique because you uh, get all the regions uh, on the right place and all the right cuts and uh, you you basically have the same arranged page in Pro Tools uh, recreated in Logic. We're using some special microphone here today. Uh, The one I'm talking in is the one I'm always using, but you're using something different here, right? Yes, this is a very uh, artistic color scheme, green and gold MXL V76. And uh, uh, from what I understand, it's a sub-brand of uh, Yamaha microphones. What I did is I borrowed some uh, microphones from the local music store, five of them, and uh, tested them out side by side. And this turned out to be the cheapest and the best one yes. suited for my voice. This cost about? This is uh, 150 euros. What I plan to do now is to uh, rent really expensive Neumann microphones and a really good preamp and to see if that will really improve my uh, signal chain. Okay, I'd be most interested to hear about how this experiment goes. I'll keep you up to date. Well, my show is about making things sound good and I've listened to some of your things on your website and your music sounds pretty okay. It has a crisp quality. What are some of the tips you would like to share with listeners to make your music or your recordings really stand out? Well, I write and record a lot for television. So that means in the end you have to have a very uh, limited uh, dynamic bandwidth. 
because uh, if it's if the music gets too soft, it will be okay on a on a hi-fi set, mm -hmm. but on television uh, the music will be gone. <laughs> so uh, I lose a, use a lot of compression, but try to do it in a transparent way, and uh, therefore I use uh, multiband compression. And what I do is I use very low threshold, like uh, minus 45 decibel, and then uh, choose a very low ratio, like 1 to 1.5, something like that. So what that does is that the whole signal gets compressed a little bit. So do you use the, the built-in logic compressors for this? Yes. You find them to be transparent? Well, you have to uh, mix and match a bit, but yeah. uh, I get them to work at the end. Um, what is important is to set the attack value of the compressor not too fast. If you set it too fast, your signal will become very dull. You, yeah. sa you said my music sounded bright. And, mm -hmm. But if you use fast attack settings, then the uh, compressor will chop off the first part of your signal, which is usually uh, the, the crispy part. The transient you would like to hear. Right. But are you not using any third-party plugins in Logic? I did in the past. But every time Logic uh, gets updated, the, the plugins won't work or there is a new Mac out and yeah. then the plugins won't work and I have to uh, rely on my system every day. And when I have a deadline, I cannot afford to have my system not work. So no, no. I, uh, I uh, stay with the basic system and I try to work with, with that. I really appreciate you taking the time for this interview because you're a pretty busy person these days, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, that's a luxury position not all of us can uh, share, but uh, what, what kind of things are you working on right now? At the moment, I'm working on a new series of uh, animated picture books. The animation is, is now uh, being made. At the moment, I'm writing music for this uh, animation. And what we do with this series is we record all the music live. And that's another good tip. We use it with live musicians. I found out that mixing uh, with live music, live played music, is much and much easier than uh, mixing uh, music from synthesizers. For example, music uh, with a flute uh, from a synthesizer or a drum kit from a synthesizer. Because they always sound too pre-compressed and too bright and I never get them to gel really well. And with real musicians, what we do is we uh, put television set in the middle we look at the screen, we practice, practice, practice till we can play the music just in sync with the, with the image and then uh, record everything uh, in, in one take. And that's the take. So I do no editing no. Uh, afterwards, just in one take. And what that does is that the musicians make some musical app and flow with the, uh, the voice in the, in, the, in the animation and, and the picture. Exactly, you, you have the human element too. Right. People are really... They're already gelling for me. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I don't have to make them gel afterwards. Um, maybe some last words of wisdom you'd like to share? Well, if you want to make a living out of music, first think really hard if you really want to make a living out of music, because it's very hard and you have to make uh, a lot of sacrifices along the way. You mean sacrifices in your, your personal life? Uh, no, uh, artistic sacrifices. Okay. So maybe you have to take jobs that you don't really like yeah. and you may find yourself, like I did a few years ago, find yourself in a position that you do make music but you uh, lose the, the fun of the music because you don't like the jobs that, uh, that are getting your way, but you have to do them for the money. Yeah. 
So what I do is I make animations for a living mm -hmm. and then I make music for my animations basically for fun because it would be much cheaper for me to play a synthesizer and then uh, put it behind my animation than use real music. But I want to make this music for fun. So if you want to make a living out of music, better think about it twice and be sure that you really want it. I hope you have a lot of success with everything you do. Okay, same to you. Thank you. This, 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 this podcast is proudly listed on podcastpickle.com with more features for podcasters and listeners. Truly the best podcasting directory on the internet. As promised, I will start a series where we will attempt to remove some of the superstition that surrounds audio and music technology. We'll start out simple by answering this question. How can you prove the difference between two files? For instance, if you render a file in two different ways, how can you prove that one file is different from the other or that they may be identical? We may want to calculate the checksum of our files, but this means looking at our audio at the file system level and there may be reasons why this wouldn't work as we want. For our experiment, we'll use an Apple MIDI loop in Logic and we bounce it down three times. First without dithering, then again without dithering to check if we are really doing this experiment scientifically correct, and then the third time we'll add power dithering, algorithm 3. My ears don't hear any difference between these files, but my listening conditions are a long stretch from ideal too. Let's listen to the third file, which has some power dithering, when we bounced it down from 24 to 16 bits in Logic. In a nutshell, by adding dither, quantization distortion is decorrelated from the signal, which means it is eliminated at the cost of having a slightly increased noise floor. That's all very interesting and all, but let's prove the differences between these files. If I can't hear it, I want to see it, or just hear the difference and boost that so I can hear it. We'll do this in Soundtrack Pro, but just about any sound editing program can do this for you. The function we'll use is called invert, which inverses the phase of your audio signal. When you hear a signal in isolation, it is impossible to hear whether the signal is inverted or not. But when you start adding signals together, phase inversion becomes really important. In the case of this experiment, we know that the sound and the inverted version of that exact same sound add up to nothing. Zero. Digital silence. Let's invert the first test signal and only the first test signal. For this I choose Process Invert. Soundtrack Pro shows that it has inverted my selection. If you listen to the inverted file, it still sounds exactly the same. We now copy this inverted piano and mix it with the second file. As they were rendered identically, the net result should be digital zero. In Soundtrack Pro this is done by using Edit, Paste Special, Paste Mix. Be sure you are positioned at the exact beginning of your files when you do this. 
Of course we don't want any crossfades and both signals should be at 100%. The net result indeed seems to be total silence. To make sure we normalize the result. If you still only see a flat line and hear absolutely nothing after normalization, you can be sure that the two files you mixed were identical, provided of course you inverted one of them before you mixed them together. But now let's mix the inverted file with our third rendition of the piano, the one that has some power dithering. It again seems to result in a perfect flat line, but if we play back this audio we see our meters are moving. Whoa, so there is a difference. Let's again normalize this result. Now we have exaggerated the difference between the rendition with and without dithering and it sounds like this. So we have proven that there is a difference between these files even if we can't hear it. Remember that the loudest signal in the original difference was at minus 65.2 decibels, so that's pretty soft. Also understand that the difference comes from two places, so it's not always obvious what you're listening to. For instance, this noise we just heard is partly quantization distortion from the undithered file and partly white noise from the power dithering process. Something else to think about is that there might have been a difference between both the undithered files. There wasn't, but if the instruments or reverbs you are using apply randomization, for instance to emulate analog drift, rendering a file may produce something different every time. So now you know how to prove the difference between two files at the audio level. We'll be using this same technique in future episodes of Sounds Good to debunk some of the superstition that haunts audio and music technology. Sounds good, but did you speak in public lately? I gave several lectures about podcasting these past few weeks. My lecture in the Amsterdam School of Audio Engineering is now an official FeedBurner customer-produced episode. All the beautiful music in this episode was by Ixi, courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. You can find a link to her website in the show notes. I wish you lots of creativity and we'll talk again soon.